0: Welcome to California Women Lawyers, episode three of Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Summer Sid Selick, here with my co-host today, Ariel Brownow Lee. We are joined today with our guest, Marge Randolph. Ariel, would you mind giving the listeners some background about our guest today?
1: Of course, Summer. Marge Randolph received her B.A. from Purdue University in 1966 in political science. She then received her J.D. in 1977 from Golden Gate University. During her legal career, she acted as Senior VP of Human Resources for the Walt Disney Company. Her 15 years at Disney revolved around Walt Disney Studios. Prior to her work at Disney, Randolph, who is now retired, served as Senior Vice President and General Counsel of the department store chain, Mervyn's. She is active in the community, working as a member of the National Advisory Panel of Stanford University's Institute for Research on Women and Gender, and a past president of California Women Lawyers from 1980 to 1981. Randolph also works with Western Justice Center Foundation, which was started by a group of judges, lawyers, and civic leaders to design, implement, evaluate, and promote innovative methods of conflict prevention. Marge Randolph, we welcome you and look forward to speaking to you.
0: All right, so let's begin. so the interesting thing is that Drusilla Ramey suggested that you come to this right. podcast and, and speak to us. And usually what we do on this cast, Seat at the Table, is I Google somebody, Google stalk them until you know I find all their information, learn everything about them, um, and then put together questions and what have you. But because right. you were in-house counsel, there's not that much about you online so I'm really looking forward to this this interview because you know Good. if Drusilla Ramey says you're interesting then you're probably <laughs> the most interesting woman in the world. Oh.
2: <laughs> I'm sure she didn't say that. She no, was, You
0: <laughs> were at the top of her list let me tell you. Um, she gave me like 10 names and she's like but you got to go with her first. I, like, I was not a traditional lawyer that's quite true well, who is a traditional lawyer, but yeah. Um, so, you
2: you started with Mervyn's, correct? I did. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I was in private practice for a brief period of time. Oh. I went to a Golden Gate Law School, which uh-huh. at the time had one of only two women deans in the country, Judy McKelvey. Yes. Uh, she became one of my very dearest friends, and I was extremely fortunate. My last semester in law school, I did an externship with equal rights advocates. Oh. Um, and I went to law school at a time that it sounds odd to say I felt very fortunate, but this confluence of events in the world, but especially this country, which is the Vietnam War, the Civil Rights Movement, and the Women's Movement just all came together. And every law school in the country was in the midst of it. So what the first Lesbians in Law chapter was at Golden Gate Law School, the, uh, the Women's Movement, getting law students involved in the country. So my getting out of law school uh, actually allowed me to consider the law as a tool for social change. Um, But you don't just step into that, as I'm sure you both know. Uh, And I also had learned in this externship that uh, I always thought I would, you know, be with something like Igor's Advocates and sue the bastards, you know, and <laughs> do the right thing for women. Um, but the fact is, is that that wasn't my skill set. I mean, I can be really good at some things as a lawyer, and I think one of the things that allows us to be uh, successful in our lives is to quickly understand what we're not good at and don't try to shove ourselves into a role that you're always... You don't feel that you've done your best. So uh, I tried private practice, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the guys I graduated from law school with, who's a very successful private practitioner still. Uh, But, you know, it wasn't my thing either. Uh, And I realized, especially on Christmas Day when I got two calls from clients, that I thought, okay, (laughs) okay. Not, not me. Um, <laughs> what type what, of law, if you don't mind me interjecting? Well, it was just a small firm. We did a little bit of everything. Okay. But uh, one of the things that I was really interested in in law school, after I took the class, was property law. I thought that was really interesting. I knew I couldn't do criminal law. I would, I would be a true bleeding heart. You know, I would adopt every every client I had. Uh, and I didn't want to muck around with people's lives. I didn't mind mucking around with their money, you understand, but I didn't want to muck around with their lives. Or to try to right wrongs in some way, you know, whether it was a, a, a civil wrong, so to speak. Um, so in private practice, it was uh, really fun. I learned so much. But mostly I learned, not quite my thing, and I got a call from uh, Mervyn's, which was uh, very successful at the time. We remember Mervyn's. Yeah. We were talking oh, about good. it. Oh, <laughs> good. I, I used to searching because yeah. it ain't around anymore. Oh,
0: <laughs> no, that used to be like our favorite day when our parents would take us to yeah. Mervyn's, and
2: they'd be like, you can get whatever you want here. <laughs> um, and uh, they were looking for a real estate lawyer. Oh. And uh, I interviewed the guy who was the senior lawyer. That's all Mervyn's had with real estate lawyers, because it turns out that any large retailer that especially is exists in malls is just as much of a real estate company as it is as a retailer, because okay. you're constant. You're you're you've got a real asset in all your real estate, whether you lease it or own it, okay. um, and somehow persuaded the guy that I really knew a lot about it, which, to tell you the truth, I didn't. But I, I liked it, and I knew I could do all right with it, and they hired me. Uh, so that really was my first experience and one that I realized I felt comfortable with. Number one, I only had one client, mm-hmm. and I could really be a part of that client, not, uh, n- not be a hired gun where I never could get really tied in with my clients.
0: And they weren't calling you on Christmas. (laughs)
2: Hopefully. Oh, no, I'm sure I did get called. They still called you on Christmas. Christmas, But (laughs) it was okay. with him.
1: How many lawyers were they employing at the time when you joined?
2: Uh, I think I was the second, and then we hired another one. But that was the immediacy, because it was just real estate. And Mervin's had been purchased by Dayton Hudson Corporation, uh-huh. a very large organization mm-hmm. located in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So it did mean I started traveling to Minneapolis a lot. Uh, but I immediately saw, unlike my compatriot, who is this, excuse me, old white guy from Oklahoma, Fair. who, <laughs> who uh, didn't probably always feel the way I felt about what women should be doing in life, uh, I realized that there were so many areas that the company was losing money because they weren't just paying basic attention to a lot of things. So kind of on the sly, which didn't go over well with the guys running the company, I would talk to the merchants about copyrights. I didn't know a lot, but I knew a lot more than they did. And just because these are things that you have to educate people inside a corporation Preventive law, as we all know, is much more effective than huh. uh, dealing with everything after the fact. Um, preventive education, I should say. You don't even have to call a law. Some of it was just common sense, and some of it was just no, no knowledge of California law. That was not what lawyers were supposed to be doing, so we had a little kerfuffle Uh, going on. At that time, uh, I had been active with California Women Lawyers as starting as a law student because Judy McKelvey was one of the initial people.
0: I was guessing that's where that came from. Yes,
2: right. And uh, Judy and Louise Rennie, and uh, Joanne Garby, you know, yeah. real tough, smart cookies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the founding
0: mothers, as the, I as them, which mean, I believe
2: you're a part of also. I am, but I was the founding child, let's oh. say, because I was still the law student. But obviously, I've, I wanted to be involved, and everyone kept me involved, uh, even after I was out of law school. Um, so I... I think it was while I was at Mervin's. I know it well as at Mervin's. I don't remember how quickly. I became president of California Lawyers actually a little before my term should have officially started because my predecessor, Barbara Gamer, was tapped to be a judge uh, in San Diego County. So I actually spent, I think, about three years as the chair of the board. And that entails some... Movement and and uh, really activities, which was not always supported by the guy from Oklahoma. Right, he didn't quite get it. Uh, In any event, long story short, the the, uh, general counsel of Dayton Hudson and I became quite close, good buddies. He totally understood what I was trying to do. Then it was really. Uh, going to save the company money and also prevent a lot of problems happening. So ultimately, uh, I, I, I don't want to call it a battle, but I won. <laughs> now, in between, this happened over the course of many years, um, I also decided I wanted to try the business side. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're a real estate lawyer, sometimes it's questionable whether you're the business person or the legal person. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to be a, a real estate person and kick the dirt, as we said, with real estate developers. So I did that for, I think, 18 months. Uh, I opened up uh, Michigan as a new territory for Mervins. Mm-hmm. I was one of only two women in the country doing that. And when you negotiate to go into, like, a major mall, these huge malls that are built, Mervyn's was considered a, a major minor. You will, th- nobody who's not in this business will appreciate this. Um, but we had a seat at the table with them, whether it's Macy's or, or Bloomingdale's or whomever. And it was basically the same group of lawyers all the time. So, and it was usually 18 guys and me. So you learned quickly how to negotiate, and you learned very quickly how to gain attention, because we know if there aren't at least three women in the room, you're, it's hard for your voice to be heard. So again, that was a fantastic experience for me, just to learn over time, which of course helped me in working for large corporations also, because often I might have been the only woman in the room. This goes back in the 70s and 80s, you understand? Yes.
1: What was your most successful tactic in having your voice heard and breaking through those 17 men to be the only woman in the room?
2: Yeah. Well, I'd have to say one very strong thing is humor. And I could make really tough comments, but I'd always crack a joke. And... I don't know. Sometimes I think it's from Indiana. People kind of trust me. I mean, the Mm. first inclination is not to mistrust me, and I have used that. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) We all learn our talents that we can use. We do. We do. So I think, and and always, always building relationships. You know, I'd hang out with the guys at dinner, and we'd all drink a little too much. And but. It really, it's the relationships, and then in tough situations, remember, it's humor and it's always appealing to what you have in common first. In other words, when you're in a tough negotiation, I always start out saying, well, first let's talk about every point we agree on. Mm -hmm. And then you suddenly set the dynamic so that when you have to deal with the points you don't, Hopefully, if you've done your job in the relationship building, there is also a huge amount of preparation about uh, clearly understanding, for example, a corporate culture inside pennies. What is it they're trying to do? What do I know? What do I learn? I'm kind of on the sly. So it's a combination of all these things.
1: Cool. Sounds like you really have what Summer and I like to call the woo factor. We do. We call it the, the, woo. the woo. Yeah, if they don't like you, <laughs> yeah.
0: whatever. Whatever. But <laughs> if we
1: can't, can't woo <laughs>
0: you, screw them, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to get you a shirt one day. Um, so did, you said that you had a, was he a boss at Mervyn's that sort of, was he a mentor to you?
2: Did you have any mentors? Is there anybody? Yes, I did have some mentors, okay. actually. Uh, I would not call him a mentor. Okay. He... he uh, I was too uppity for him. You know, he was an old white guy from Oklahoma. And while he had a few people's voice, because he was a good old boy, and guys liked him. Um, I've never seen that before. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, the CEO, I think, was intrigued with me. And he was always, ended up being a big supporter. And then the... Uh, I forget what his title was. The associate chairman who really didn't like me left. And uh, the guy they put in uh, was a wonderful guy who ended up being the CEO of Safeway. Um, was Definitely became my mentor. And then it turned out the CEO was kind of my mentor almost behind the scenes. And I think part of that was because the general counsel at Dayton Hudson, who had a lot of influence overall in that company in all seven operating divisions, also liked me and thought I was good. And he thought I was pushing, I was the right kind of risk taker and so forth. And I was figuring out ways to save money. You know, it suddenly looked like I knew how to run a profit-making decision. Never true in the legal department, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of looked that way. Um, <clears throat> so I was made general counsel. And uh, that was really the job I had for some years. I was at Mervyn's, I think, for 13 years total. Uh, and then Mervin's had was always in what we finally called a turnaround situation, right? Understanding you have to be making more money. It just wasn't working. Uh, Target had started as an experiment inside Dayton Hudson, and suddenly Target was on the ascendancy. So. Um, it, it, everything changed, and eventually uh, the people who started running Dayton Hudson, not people so uh, familiarly uh, oriented towards Mervins and California in general, mm-hmm. came out, sent out a bunch of Target guys to run it, and it just, it was terrible. They made, they got me to agree to stay two more years while they went through this transition it was not comfortable for me and ultimately I I left. One of the things that I've learned, I want to go back to the women's issues for a minute, is if I couldn't really be the person who was litigating to win for hundreds, thousands, millions of women, what I could do was be inside an organization and very clearly work towards opening jobs up and making sure that I had positions that allowed me to do that because it looked like I was profit-making, so to speak, and they eventually gave me two other whole uh, uh, departments inside the company to report to me as a general counsel. That was not highly thought of by <laughs> a lot of people who were reporting to me at the time. One was the uh, uh, risk management, that's what it was called a euphemism for shoplifting yep. and insurance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other one was um, human resources, mm-hmm. uh, because they had gotten rid of the person running it. Uh, so, uh, honestly, I learned a lot, because it wasn't as though I could immediately fly into those areas and knew what I was talking about, but I knew my clients, so to speak. I knew Mervinson and what I wanted to accomplish, and I knew how to work with Dayton Hudson. Uh, so, Jim Hale, who was the general counsel at Dayton-Hudson, uh, and Mike, oh my God, I can't remember his last name, who was the assistant chairman at Mervin's, and then the CEO at Mervin's, um, Walter Rossi, uh, really became big fans of mine. And Walter said to me one day, after I was general counsel, you, this is still a, kind of a misnomer, I think, but in many companies it's true. Which is nobody wants to have to deal with the general counsel or the legal department. You know, it's yeah. like hold up the cross of so the vampire. <laughs> That's still happening, in I office. believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite sure it is. Um, Walter came into my office one day and he said, "You know what, Marge, I'm just thinking about this. People just look at you and think you're a really good business person. They don't identify you as a lawyer." And this is one of the problems, this is a lawyer general, not just women, but maybe even a little more for women, you get put in a box. And it's very hard to get out of that box. I've, I was both fortunate and made it clear I wanted out of the box. And they thought it was great, so they let me out of the box. So ultimately, that's how I've always considered myself. Yes, I'm a lawyer, and nobody ever forgets that, but I, I understand big strategic issues in running a business, and the law is a part of that. So, long story, let me go back to then my change. So, I was leaving uh, Mervyn's, uh, and it was public, so I was getting calls from headhunters. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I thought I'd get some calls about being general counsel, and I did. But oddly enough, I started getting a lot of calls about heading up big HR organizations. And I thought, oh, wow. So I took some time off uh, and then got a call from Disney, a headhunter for Disney, uh, who said that she had heard about the skill set I had, which was lawyer, human resources, and... Jack of all trades. Yeah, well, kind of. Jill of all, Lisa. Lisa. Jill <laughs> of all trades. Jill of all trades. Sorry. Of all trades. Oh, I don't
0: know why I did that. Jill
2: of all trades. <laughs> 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 and I, uh, I ended up, uh, because I had friends in L.A., and I went to LA all the time for business in Marvin, so I was pretty familiar with it. I thought, hey, okay, I'll I'll go down, I'll take the interview and go down, and they'll pay for it, and I'll see my friends, and <laughs> you know, all, all will be well. Uh, because of course I lived in Berkeley, and the idea of saying you're going to San I mean, you're going to yeah. Los Angeles. Oh my God, I'd be gone insane. And this is in the '90s. Mm-hmm. But uh, a unique experience happened to me when I went in for this interview with this guy named Peter Schneider, who was uh, at that time the president of animation, mm-hmm. uh, who said to me, I, it wasn't just what he said to me, I guess. We just started talking, and sometimes you click with another person. And this is not a gender issue, I don't believe, you just click with them. And we were supposed to have a 45-minute interview, and we talked for three hours. Mm-hmm. and." We just knew, we We both knew. It was kind of like, you know, you fall in love professionally. <laughs> uh, uh, and you knew you were going to have more fun working with that person. So I changed my whole life, basically. I, uh, I was getting a divorce anyway, so I needed it. It was okay for me to think about changing my life to that degree. And I also thought, wow, Disney, you know, huge, 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 huge company. I was not hired to be in the legal department. I was hired to run HR. Disney always treated me as a lawyer. They pay, always paid my bar dues. I was very closely aligned with the lawyers. But to me, I had the best of all possible worlds because I could say to the lawyers, that isn't right and we're not going to do that, and you work for me, right? Mm-hmm. You're Because that is what in-house counsel does. They're working for somebody, not yeah. in the same outside, I mean, but even inside. You know, you keep billable hours, I mean, everything. I. Uh, so Disney got a twofer, basically. You know, I was a business person. I was, I, I could run HR. I could set, build good organizations, um, and it just turned out to be a great fit. So I, unbelievably, was there for fifteen years. So I started out Inside the Animation Group, um, and in the nineties, in the nineties, all the classics. That's
0: the good ones. And yeah. then about, uh,
2: probably about two thousand somewhere around the year 2000, uh, the guy who hired me, Peter Schneider, was made chairman of the whole studio. Mm -hmm. So that's all the movie division. It's everything, it's music, it's you name it, really. Uh, It's not the parks, so So I keep saying to people, I didn't work for the parks, I don't know (laughs) anybody. But it was cool, you know, it was basically, we were working in Hollywood and uh, I, He was really great fun to work with. Finally, the political situation at Disney got it. It was highly political. But again, I always fall back on the same thing. You you do your preparation for every meeting you go into. You try to make sure you're likable, which sometimes you aren't because of the message you're giving, at least in the person's mind, listener's Mm -hmm. mind. Uh, You use a, a little bit of humor. And you also, this is what I learned quickly, because there are, there are personalities and egos in Hollywood that we only see in washington d c right now, but <laughs> I mean it was really amazing to me, and you talk about bad behavior you know I mean I, here I was coming from Northern California, I kept saying who who told you you could say that in a meeting you can't did that so sort of, you know so there was a lot of work to do, in other words. Uh, But it was great fun. And as I learned about all these new businesses inside Disney, it was just a good fit. Uh, And was very successful there, I'm very proud to say. And I finally, at age 67, thought, I can't keep doing this. I need to leave. And they thought perhaps I'd want to keep some kind of relationship with them, which, of course, I have many friendships, but I knew I was always coming back to Northern California because it's too hot in L.A. for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And in 2011, I moved back here.
0: So were you in Orange? You were in Orange County. Oh, God, no. Okay, I was going to say, were you actually living?
2: Well, I don't know. Uh, You were actually in in Burbank. Oh, okay. The movie division is headquartered in Burbank. I worked in this beautifully, very famous architect-designed building that was... Not at all user friendly if you worked in it. (laughs) And you walked every day under giant seven dwarves at the top of the building. Cool.
0: It is. It was pretty cool. Well, Burbank's. I, was, I went to law school in Orange County, so I, I was oh. wondering what what type of political dynamic. Did there. you go to UC Irvine? where did you I go? I did, and I went to Western in Southern California. Oh, sure. But I had come from UCLA, so it oh. was very different going from Westwood to Orange County. Oh my God! I and, can't even imagine. And being it was a it was a I went during uh, like Prop Eight and what have you, and so it was very highly. Could, contentious, contentious yes. down there especially yeah. for me so yeah. I was wondering if you had any of those experiences but.
2: well what I mean the experiences I did have were uh, because the fact is all the heads of HR they were four major divisions inside Disney at the time and we all met as a group and then there was a corporate head of HR the central corporate group uh, which the studio was not obviously and um, And so that was interesting and I always knew what was going on inside the parks, for example. And they were all very different businesses. If people want to talk about a culture at Disney, there is not one culture at Disney Mm -hmm. other than family oriented and their intellectual property. That's all that company is, is incredibly important intellectual property,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Um, So you started, you, you got out of law school in 1977. Yep. How do you think women in the law, the profession, has changed since since then? And and what kind of needs do you think are are now for for mm-hmm. women who are getting into the legal
2: practice? Because mm-hmm. the landscape's probably changed a bit. Um. Well, I still mentor some young women. That's what I've done all along. I had about I'd say eight women at Disney that wow. they I met with them regularly. Uh. uh and uh, I, but I don't know exactly the needs. I'll tell you what hasn't changed. Let's hear it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the fact that women are the only ones who have babies. And for women who choose to have children, uh, it's still, in a lot of law firms, what impact your career. Absolutely. And I, I consider that reprehensible. And I know what a strain it puts on organizations. But uh, I think until this, this country supports childcare, number one, and also really uh, puts itself in a position that, you know, we're all just people, and whatever our abilities are, we should be treated equally at those abilities. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And the fact that we are, of course, now still fighting some of the battles that we thought were years ago when we were out on the ramparts. Uh, is pitiful. In 77, um, you didn't, and especially in the Bay Area, you didn't have the situation like nobody would hire a woman graduate because, but she could be a paralegal or, you know, a secretary or something, even with the law degree. I think that was pretty much over, but there were still places, all these private clubs existed in San Francisco, uh, uh, of course, all men's private clubs, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's where all the deals were cut. So it, it, the, it, the good old boys club was much more obvious and, and accepted by everybody, really, to some degree.
0: So there was a group in San Diego at the time. I, I can't remember mm-hmm. who it was. Led was it by McKelvey, who went to went to the, the the clubs that were all men, and they forced them to allow them in. Were you a
2: part of any of that in, in San
0: Diego? In San Diego, in Southern no. California. No, you didn't. You didn't start that in San Francisco.
2: Well, yes, <laughs> when I when we were at uh, Equal Rights Advocates, of course we were just the law students. There were six or seven of us uh, young women working with. Mary Dunlap, Nancy Davis, uh, and Wendy Williams, and um, Joan dempsey Klein. No, 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 Joan Dempsey-Glund. No, there was another <laughs> staff lawyer who was one of the head lawyers for ERA for a while. I mean, really, it was Mary Dunlap. We okay. worshipped Mary Dunlap. I was thinking about her this morning, knowing I was coming to talk to you all. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant legal mind. Uh, and if you, I think there's still a video out there of her uh, debating Phyllis Schlafly about mm-hmm. the Equal Rights Amendment. That's mm-hmm. brilliant. Anyway, Mary decided there was a restaurant, s- pseudo club restaurant in downtown San Francisco called Schroeder's. It's not located where it is now. Now it's a German restaurant <laughs> <laughs> in the financial district, and it was a German restaurant then. But they had this weird thing, which is that at lunchtime, women couldn't stand at the bar and order lunch. whereas So all these men what? would go in and stand Just at the weird. bar and order yeah. lunch. Just weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I think women were allowed to go into that. So we decided to liberate that one day. And cool. there were four or Love five that. of us who went in. <laughs> You know, they didn't know what to do. I mean, it wasn't like they could have us arrested or anything. And I don't quite remember the outcome, other than we made our point, we got the publicity, and that policy changed pretty quickly. Um, and at, also at Equal Rights Advocates, they had filed a lawsuit against uh, Greyhound Bus Lines, there were no women bus drivers. So I always tell people that I got to work a tiny bit on every time you see a woman bus driver at a Greyhound bus. I had something to do with that. (laughs) Actually, I have a very little bit, you know. We all need our bragging rights for a few things. Every Uh, little bit counts. Yeah, everybody that counts. I'll think of you now. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I see one. I know. Uh, And there are a couple of other cases like that that were just... So critical to just opening up people thinking differently, I think, about all these. and these. But there are still – I cannot believe – we did a lot of equal pay work. I can't believe there are still equal pay issues that come yeah. up. And you think, really? Yeah. I mean, so that's what gets discouraging to me that I, I just think, uh, well – That's a different conversation We won't go into that I think it's still difficult And uh, the good news is Is that the more women are willing to speak up Which is what's happening right now With the sexual harassment issues Mm -hmm. Especially in Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. uh, The more important it is for everybody Uh, Just like you, you hear about These abuses at some private school That had been going on For 30 years or something And it just took a few people And then the dam breaks and there's hundreds suddenly of people who were impacted that's what i think we still are working on still have to uh, propose i think one of the things that women uh, can learn and all all of it depends on uh, who we are as our own persons Uh, because we can only be as good a lawyer as we are comfortable with ourselves and believe that we're a good lawyer. And if you aren't comfortable in your own skin, it's not going to work. And that became very clear to me that I had to like myself, and then I could save the world. But if I didn't, in other words, if I didn't believe in everything that I was doing, uh, for all the right reasons, not for hidden agendas it really could make a big difference to me. And I think for the people I worked with and and people I helped over the years, a lot of people of color, I've developed all these programs, both inside Disney as well as Mm Mervyn's. And I still get sweet emails from people telling me they never would have had the job if I hadn't been there, blah, 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 blah. But somehow I've learned that there's not always that permanence. And everything that we do as lawyers and as women has to be... Something that has lasting impact not and it can't be tied to use an individual. It has to be Something that is tied to the issue itself that is so important that it's then a given after it's changed unfortunately for a lot of human nature and their biases and perceptions it, one generation can feel like it's changed, which was the 1977, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we could do anything. And where we are now, which is still some frustration, I think, uh, and and still feeling like every once in a while you're hitting your head against a brick wall.
0: Definitely feel like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry, I had two questions that came up during what you just said. First, I feel like... Now there are still hurdles for for women in the profession, right. obviously, and I know that each day that Ariel and I go to work, we're probably doing something to promote women
2: in, of course in this industry, sure. but. You're being there, and you're, you're being a role there, model. yeah, exactly.
0: Right. But we don't know that that's happened. I mean, I can sit here today and tell you, oh, yes, I know I'm a role model, but I, I don't feel like we're really changing anything. Did you have that feeling when you you know, were, were starting, when you were doing all these things like getting greyhound bus drivers that were female? Did you know I'm making a difference, or is it just through hindsight that you've been able to see that?
2: Well, uh, those situations are are permanent because they become legal situations. Absolutely. So that is that's one totally different yeah, being a role model isn't, isn't statutory. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not statutory. <laughs> um, I don't know that I felt that. I knew that I wanted to feel that and I knew that I reached out constantly <coughs> to younger women But I also realized it must be happening because so many women approached me to be their mentor or to say, would you just have coffee with me? I've got this situation. And um, so I think I did. Now, for some of the uh, people of color that I made sure they were given equal chances at promotions or hiring or whatever, I don't know that that lasted because some of them I hadn't stayed in touch with. And every once in a while, I'll get out of the blue someone who worked for me in human resources who says, I, I've never told you, and it was 20 years ago, but that you made such a difference in my life. Those are very precious moments.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So you've been a mentor to many women and one of the things that that and some men and some men which is great <laughs> and some men have mentored you which is even, yes is, which absolutely is awesome too.
2: absolutely um loving.
0: one of the things that i know Ariel's in family law and there's a lot there's a lot of backbiting in family law a lot a lot um which you probably never had to deal with which is lucky you um you must be kidding <laughs> <laughs> backbiting exists everywhere it is everywhere um Although it seems worse in family law. but Because uh, they're not dealing with, with the precaution. They're dealing with the, the aftermath of
1: all of the, oh, I know the stuff that's gone wrong. If only they had met us five years ago, we could have put him down the right path, <laughs> we maybe. D- we would have pre that wedding. Yeah,
2: we would have said, no, you don't need that person. <laughs> Do you know uh, um, Arlene Costant? I'm
1: familiar with the name, but no.
2: She's my dearest friend from law school. In fact, I was looking at a picture last night. We took a, had a picture taken of ourselves the day we graduated from law school. We're wearing these white ice cream suits, like John Travolta. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> oh,
1: very trendy at the time, I bet.
2: Very trendy at the time. She, of course, is doing, is the mediation okay. side of it. She doesn't do actual litigation, but yes, I understand. It so could be that. And so my well, let's say high levels of competition. Yeah, high levels of
0: competition. <laughs> so my, my question is. If you were ever met with um, a woman who wasn 't supportive of, of others or was trying, you know what i 'm saying Ariel somebody that that is trying to deconstruct what you 've built versus
2: propping you up you mean for their client because for, they want to deconstruct you so they
1: get a better deal for their client for their client or I think <laughs> even in, just in a professional situation, not even necessarily with there's clients, just the dynamic between some women attorneys. Is not one of confidence boosting, or it's one of undercutting as opposed to camaraderie, which I think is people, very detrimental to the feminist movement. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: so, well, absolutely. But remember, we're, we're really operating as good business people for our clients. And just t- take the gender out of it for a second. The same thing would be happening, whether it was male or female, because as some people believe, and women are just as bad at men that if they're tough and nasty, especially if they're clients in the room, they'll be thought of more highly. Oh, yeah, I dealt with one woman. This was this brief time I was in. This was a family law issue, brief oh. time I was in private practice. Uh, and she essentially told me that I was stupid about this one issue, that clearly I would agree to it if I understood it, and I wanted to slug her. <laughs> but, and I, but what happens is you can't let yourself be feel impugned. And I always go back to—I mean—a couple of women in particular. I've had such a bad so you sometimes we just have bad visceral reactions to people, man and women, yeah. and it's chemistry. It's not—it's almost like you know pheromones we aren't even aware of, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, but occasionally I feel like there's somebody I don't understand why I'm not getting along better with that person. And if I cared enough about the person, like I respect them, and I'd like—I'd call them up after the case is over and say. Wow, what was that interaction about? You want to have some coffee and just talk about it? I mean, some, again, it's the relationship building. It's the likability factor. And I'm not saying when uh, – I don't think anybody's ever had any doubt. I've had a lot of especially men tell me this. You're the toughest lawyer I've ever met. And I can, I can be not nice, really not nice in a room. But – when push comes to shove, it's the underlying relationships that bring success as a lawyer. That's what I think.
1: Well, I think a positive you can take out of any negative interactions you have, too, is it does help you build a thicker skin. It helps you build that confidence going yes, forward. Yes, absolutely. So if you, can't, um, if you can't get a friendship or a camaraderie out of it, at least you've gotten a little more confidence and a little well, tougher. And remember, you, you don't
2: have to, I used to. I've always said this to people. You don't have to like the people you work with. But you have to respect them. Absolutely. And that, if, when that line is crossed, then I'll take anybody on and say, not one client's in the room, how dare you,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, with probably some salty language thrown in, uh, and really push somebody to the wall. How dare you do that to me? And what the hell do you think you're doing? And why would you say that? You know, like really force them to take responsibility for their actions or for their inability to, I don't know, just kind of be civil.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: I like it. You, you seem so very direct when, in a lot of ways, in court, I know that I'm trying to just navigate the situation and be
2: as, as cordial as possible even when I'm getting run over. Well, you well, but you, you want to do that because the judge is observing. They don't. The judge doesn't want to see, you know, a bunch of lawyers. Um, well, I don't know. I haven't been in front of a judge in a long time. Maybe they do like to
1: see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine line. It's and it a depends fine judge line. to judge. Yes, it depends
0: judge
2: to judge. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, so are you still, you're still active with California Women Lawyers, correct?
2: No, I'm really not. Actually, uh, we'll come back into the fold. <laughs> Let's do this. We'll get you back in. I'm running I, for treasurer. I, so. I bought out the lifetime <laughs> membership thing. You know, and I'm thinking about getting I'm I yeah. think it's a good. Well, I think it's probably a lot more money now than it was when I did <laughs> I know. I've only bought him it while it was low. <laughs> Smart.
0: But um, I don't know if you know that we've started um, Suzette Torres, who's a wonderful in house counsel for uh, National, uh, is the chairman. I'm her little junior partner. Um, chairperson. Chairperson. Gosh, you got me twice today. I mean. <laughs> I'm the worst. of um, uh, The In-House Council Network. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about this with CWL? And so we're we're doing something that's called a puzzle series. Um, where, I did say something
2: about a puzzle series.
0: Yeah, so we've put on this puzzle series in Northern California, and we did one in Southern California. We'll do another one in Northern, another mm-hmm. one in Southern. And then there'll be a big retreat, um, and it's only for female in-house counsel mm-hmm. so that they can – troubleshoot talk about what's mm-hmm. going on talk about what's happening I think that's great I think that's fantastic yeah I mean I I'm somewhat ignorant as to what in-house counsel does because it's such mm-hmm. a different world but was there anything like that existing when you when
2: you were no not not focused uh, just on women in-house counsel you know there are a lot of in-house counsel groups for, even through the ABA or whatever but nothing that was that no. was female focused. Huh. So that's probably why. It's. Yeah. Uh, let me say something about C.W.L. It was incredibly important to me that group for many years. Uh, but ultimately, I, I am not an older person who hangs on. In other words, I, I love, I love to see fresh blood you know i want to hear new ideas i i there are some organizations there are, and a lot of nonprofit organizations have been, get into this deal where you know the board just continues to be the same people basically so stagnant. and you, you, yeah you can't do that you you have to get new thinking in so for cwl at some point i said to myself it's time, you know, to turn it over. These young women are fantastic. The group's doing all this wonderful thing, and so I just kind of watch from the sidelines. And it's, I'm not saying I would never be involved in anything, but it's been years since I really, you know, when I was at Disney, I was running things. I would not have called my. I wasn't really an in-house counsel there. Not that I didn't have a couple working for me and stuff. Um, so I love what this group is doing and the activities, and I'm especially thrilled that you're doing stuff like this because every organization that started how ours did, you, you know why the group started originally, right? The comment that was made? No, by, no. Please, enlighten um, I always, me. I always somewhat don't remember which California governor it was. And I want to say Duke Major, but that might not be true. Uh, And there was always a a head appointment right under the governor, who's the judicial kind of overseer and picking, you know, whatever. And California had nothing but white men in the judiciary at the time. And this guy made a public statement once saying something like, well, you know, we'd love to put some women in, but we don't know any. So that's the i the that was the instigating what I was always told anyway, uh, was the instigating uh, a factor behind uh, John Dempsey Klein. So there were two or three women from Southern California, two or three women from Northern California who got together and decided to form this group. And the Northern California Southern California contingency hasn't always been. Uh, did not always work well together let's say or play together well in the in the sand uh but part of that was also just the starting uh a new pains right and figuring it all out and uh as we brought on a lot of local women lawyers groups to be part of the organization. I remember driving to Stockton once. There was a little local women's organization. I don't know. There were probably more than 20 women lawyers in Stockton. They were so happy, and they were so interested in hearing from other women lawyers. That's the value of this group, that where women lawyers sometimes feel isolated, they don't have anybody else to talk to. That's what this group does so well, allows you, gives you supporters and friends and compatriots to bounce ideas. So I, I love this puzzle idea. I think it's great.
0: I'll let Suzette know. Yeah. She didn't start it, but yeah, she, she's very excited about yeah. it. Um, so, uh, did you, uh, this is a silly question, but did you have, no questions silly, that's not true actually, um, did you have she any... she got to work on
2: her confidence level. Oh, <laughs> no, I don't
0: say that on record. <laughs> um, was there anything that, so we like to try and get mantras out of people, anything that you told yourself when, you know, times got hard
2: that, that, that helped you get through it, anything that, that you just kept, you're laughing, which... Well, I'm only laughing because... There's no one mantra that gets you through life. Trust me. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> uh, but
0: Professionally, is there is there anything is that... An overarching
1: theme, theme maybe? Yeah. Of your professional career and women's advancement issues.
0: Ariel's is the woo thing. If you can't woo them, screw them.
2: <laughs> She's got a good one. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember anyone. I will tell you, there was a, a an essay I read once that was so critically important to me that I carried a copy with me all the time. And whenever I really was uh, feeling defeatist within myself or lacking confidence or thinking, what the hell have I done? I'm going to get fired tomorrow for this or whatever it was, uh, I would read this article, this essay. And it was written by Joan Didion many, many years ago and it's called the title of the of the article is called on self-respect and you can find it i think it's in her book of essays called plays that it lays uh it was so impactful to me because again it was about two or three things to to live in a world that you have to accept that things aren't always going to go your way and that you make major mistakes and you hurt people when you don't mean to, you do harm when you don't mean to. Uh, but to, to really develop character, you have to understand you take accountability for it. And if you, if you really take accountability for it, even though I, I screwed up so many times, I mean, sometimes I lay awake at night and think, Should I call that person and apologize? It's 30 years later, of course, and I'm thinking, (laughs) really, you think that person's going to remember? Well, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's still troubling me, maybe it's still troubling him. (laughs) Whatever it is, this article somehow allowed me to take a deep breath and to realize that to accept my own flaws and to vow to be better (laughs) Um, And to absolutely always, always, always take responsibility for my own actions. And being able to stand up and do that gives you the ability to like yourself. You don't like what you did, but it doesn't mean you don't like yourself. And that's what self-respect is.
0: I also think that that goes to being somebody that when you come into a room, uh-huh. they want to talk with
2: you and they want to chat with you and they want to work with you, mm-hmm. right? That's part of all of it. It's not, yeah, it's not that's just, a part of all of it. Yeah. You, you, I think what was so imp- important to me, not just on the gender side, is I always wanted to be thought of as a person of integrity and compassion. And sometimes as lawyers, we don't feel like we get a big opportunity to always show compassion. hmm but you can. And, you know, even as head of HR at Disney, I had to fire some people who were devastated, and they'd been there for years, and they, you know, were sobbing, and did, well, how are they going to live? And um, while I had to do what I did professionally, and hopefully did it with compassion. That's another thing that's worked well for me over the years, I'd say. I learned early on when a tough conversation was coming up and I, my voice was shaking and I thought, oh my God. I would practice that conversation only I was the person listening to me. Mm-hmm. And I would try to figure out how, what would make it the least <laughs> insulting you know or whatever it is to say those words to somebody I mean what would be important to me and then I tried to do a little bit of that and it still doesn't mean like your stomach isn't churning and you think you're gonna throw up any second and you know it's awful but uh, you know you get all these little tricks as you're moving along to hopefully allow it to work
1: Awesome. When you were working at Disney, do you think the culture there in your segment cuz you said there wasn't really the one studio, right. company culture mm-hmm. in the segment in the studio segment was that um, more progressive than Mervin's did it allow you to really implement your yes. equal rights uh, values and progressing women um, more or less or how did you integrate more. that? Absolutely more. more.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely more. But part of that was also a timing issue, you know. Right. When I went to work at Dayton Hudson and 87 or something, must have been 88. Uh, So that was extremely different. Yeah, we need to end this. Um, But yes, yeah, we (laughs) turned into pumpkins. But absolutely, uh, it was a different environment. And I think I made a difference. But Hollywood is notorious to be male-driven, and there are some tough women. I met the toughest women I've ever met in Hollywood, you know, like directors and writers Mm -hmm. and stuff, and they're fighting, and they're, you know, so you see a lot more articles about it and so forth.
1: Was there any time that the company took a political stance that you personally didn't agree with?
2: Political stance. Or
1: a progressive stance. Um, I think Summer, you mentioned before about Prop 8. I
2: believe Disney supported... Probably, It did. And Disney's been pretty good. The guy who's the CEO now and I became really great working partners. Uh, I haven't said one thing, which you've probably both picked up at. I have a personal style, which doesn't always sit with everybody. I am very direct. Mm-hmm really direct yes and i try not i don't i i to me that is the only that's a major sign of respect in dealing with somebody is to be direct and honest with them they may not like what you're saying but if you're direct and honest and again kind of can say it in a way that works stood me in very good stead
1: Absolutely, and I can, can see that in you, and I really yeah. respect that about you. Yeah. I, I strive to be very direct as well. Yeah. yeah, you are very direct. I would like to tell you that. <laughs>
0: uh, that's why we're, we're on the Hopefully same Hopefully in a nice way. You're, yeah. good, you're great But if wonderful. not, well, well, I just wanted to thank you for being here. You're welcome. I'm, I'm sure we could have gone
1: on and on. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And yeah, your, very interesting. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Before we sign off, I want to thank Gilbert Wing for recording and editing this podcast the district attorney of alameda county for allowing us use of the recording studio marge randolph for being a wonderful guest and cwl for allowing ariel and i to meet and interview such amazing people remember as nancy o'malley loves to say if you aren't sitting at the table then you are on the menu thank you for joining us thank you so much